This is Truth with Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosso is continuing his preaching through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're working our way into chapter 6, a continuation of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking about prayer, the how and why of prayer. This is important because then, as now, prayer had become a kind of theater of oration. Fancy and flowery words were woven together in a way to make the prayer seem more important and more spiritual than anyone listening. But Jesus points out that the audience for our prayer is God himself, and he sees our hearts. So our focus should be on the motivation and the purpose of our prayer. Today, we'll unpack the example prayer Christ gave to his disciples and learn once again that it's all about God. Let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus explains prayer as an act of righteousness. We started talking about this a few weeks ago when we started chapter 6 of the Gospel of Matthew, and we concluded that prayer should be a daily, natural thing for believers to do. And after instructing his audience here not to imitate either the hypocrites or the pagans, he gives them a model prayer. And he does not mean to give a word-for-word formula to be recited because he just instructed his audience here that we are not to pray without engaging the mind. Many people refer to this next session of the Sermon on the Mount as the Lord's Prayer. But as we will conclude today, it's better to label it as the Disciples' Prayer. And I'll show you why today. But for now, let me invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 6. We're going to read from verses 9 through 15. Jesus says, Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So here we have it, church, how subjects of the kingdom of heaven should pray. Last time we were together, we saw that Jesus dealt with the motivations of and approaches to prayer. And what we concluded is that he wants us, and obviously his original audience here in the Sermon on the Mount, to be distinct from the hypocrites and the pagans. So with that in mind, let's look at the example of prayer. The first thing to notice is the conjunction then that starts that entire new paragraph. Also could be rendered therefore, and it clarifies to us that what comes next concludes the previous thought. And you will remember that he gave the motivations of and the approaches to prayer. And he says, well, you need to pay attention to your father who sees what is done in secret, and he will reward you. Therefore, he says, pray this way. Now, we need to keep in mind that we're not to follow the example of the hypocrites and the pagans. Presumably, the hypocrites were the scribes and Pharisees, and the pagans, obviously, the non-Christians at the time who would pray to their pagan deities, repeating meaningless words, thinking that they were able to communicate with them, but they're really not. But again, their motivation was to impress and to deceive people. And Jesus says, then you're not to pray like that, 
then you were supposed to pray like this. And in the disciples' prayer, he teaches us that there is no specific ritual to perform. There's no sign of the cross that we need to do, no specific posture or specific time of a day. But Jesus says here, you are to pray this way, not necessarily pray these words. And this is important for us to understand. There's nothing wrong with reciting this prayer if the motivation of your heart is right, if you're engaging the mind, if your heart really means what these words are saying here. But if you're disengaging the mind or if you're just repeating them in order to be forgiven or to do some sort of a penance, you miss the point. And because subjects of the kingdom of heaven must have the right motivation for prayer, Jesus then identifies three elements in his example of prayer here. Let's identify them here with with Christ. Three elements. The first one is in verse 9. We are to honor God. Now we know this because he uses the personal possessive pronoun our and then followed by father. It speaks of close fellowship with God. Subjects of the kingdom of heaven belong to God, and that's why we can call God our God and our Father. And that's only true because we belong to Christ. Remember what Paul wrote to Titus in Titus 2 verse 14. Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. And also Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 23, you belong to Christ. And the reason for that, church, is because in eternity past, the Father gave the church to the Son as a love gift. Now, Jesus speaks about that in John 10, verses 27 through 29. Listen to this. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You've heard me say this before. We have double coverage when it comes to the assurance of our salvation. No one can snatch us out of the hand of the Father, and no one can snatch us out of the hand of the Son, because that's what Christ is saying here. The Father gave us to the Son as a love gift. Therefore, we belong to Christ, and we belong to the Father. And that is the reason why we can say, Our Daddy, our Father, who is in heaven, we are therefore forever secure in the hands of the Father. Now, Speaking of that word, Father, Jesus' example prayer here clarifies the type of relationship that we have with God. He's not a distant God, but He is our Daddy, our Abba, Father. We can address Him this way because of what John writes, for example, in 1 John 3.1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. So we are not just subjects of the kingdom of heaven. That is a technical term. We are the children of God because we belong to Christ because of what he's done at the cross. And we came to him in repentance and faith. And therefore, we belong to the Father because we belong to Christ. Now, prior to us coming to faith in Jesus Christ, prior to God reaching down and saving us, we belong to another father. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So before we became children of God by grace through faith, we were sons of disobedience because we wanted nothing to do with God and because we were on our way to condemnation. But thanks to God, He reached down and saved us. And now as sons and daughters of God, 
we are not only subjects of the kingdom of heaven, we are children of God, and furthermore, we are heirs of the Father. We have an inheritance. The Bible speaks about that in the New Testament. In fact, Peter says in 1 Peter 1.4 that that inheritance is imperishable and will not fade away, and it's reserved for us in heaven. You see, no matter what people take from you in this world, you have an inheritance that no one can touch because it's reserved in heaven for you and it comes from the hand of the Father. In fact, Jesus says, the Father who is in heaven will reward you for your faithfulness. Speaking about specifically here, the righteousness, practicing our acts of righteousness. So we can conclude this just by those two first words, our Father. We can conclude this, church. We have the best parent in the universe. Now, even if your parents have failed you or abandoned you, your heavenly father has adopted you into his family. He will never let you go, no matter what you do, because your salvation is not based on your performance. We are secured forever in the hands of God because of the grace of God. See, if I could lose my salvation, I would have already lost it, and so would have you. Why? Because our salvation is not based on our performance, but based on the faithfulness and the immutability of God. And that is the reason that we can address Him as our Father. Now, in verse 6, Jesus says that our Father is in secret. And now He says He's also in heaven. So obviously, we understand this to be the omnipresence of God being on display here. Jesus Christ talking about the fact that God, specifically the Father here, is everywhere at the same time with His whole being. Same is true for all the other members of the Trinity. But because He's focusing on the Father here in the context of prayer, we understand that He is not only in secret, but He's also in heaven. The reason for that, church, is because according to Revelation 4, verse 2, the throne of God is in heaven. You will remember that from our series in the book of Revelation here. And Paul clarifies that that is a real place. Heaven is a real place. It's not a state of mind. It's not a state of being. It's a place. In fact, according to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2, he calls it the third heaven, which is above the atmospheric heaven and above the observable universe. You can't see the third heaven with a telescope because it's the spiritual realm. But the throne of God is in there. John the apostle had a chance to tour the place when in Revelation, God says, come up here. Jesus said, the glorified Christ said, come up here and I'll show you the things that must take place. No, also according to Christ, in Matthew 5, verse 35, you will remember that the earth is the footstool of God. So, therefore, Jesus teaches us that through prayer, subjects of the kingdom of heaven, children of God, access the very throne room of God, the very control room of the universe, the headquarters of the presence of God, although He is everywhere at the same place at the same time with the entirety of His being in creation and outside of creation. When we pray, church, we are accessing the control room of the universe. And we don't need an appointment for that because the Bible says, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in a time of need. Hebrews 4 verse 16. And has there ever been a time of greater need than the days we are living in right now? What a great opportunity to draw near the throne room of God through prayer by exercising that spiritual discipline that Jesus says, go reach for the heart of God. And the Bible invites us to do that when the Bible says, let us draw near to the throne of grace. So church, we are encouraged here from the word of God to draw near to God because he is accessible. We can address him as our father who is in heaven because we have that kind of relationship 
relationship with him. It's an affectionate relationship that we have with our creator and redeemer. And therefore, we access him at any time. He's always ready to listen to you. Maybe your earthly parents are sometimes not available to listen to you, but not your heavenly father. He is always available to listen to you. And next, according to Jesus' example of prayer... Members of the kingdom of heaven, subjects of the kingdom of heaven, you and me, believers in Christ, should treat the name of God with the utmost respect. That's why he uses this word here, hallowed be your name. Now in verb form, that word means to sanctify or to regard as holy, which means the devotion that we have to his name must come from a desire to honor him. Jesus provided two negative examples. You will remember that in the previous paragraph here in uh, Matthew 6 when he points out, don't do it like the hypocrites do. Don't do it like the pagans do. He's using them as negative examples. But I want to bring out to you another example, a negative example here from the book of Malachi. Malachi 1.6 says this, and this is God speaking, as a son honors his father and a servant his master, then if I'm a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. You see, God calls them out. And he goes on to explain to them that the reason they were despising his name is because they were serving him thoughtlessly, carelessly. Therefore, church, we need to understand that when we pray, hallowed be your name, we are expressing our desire to honor God by serving him with our best. To give him the excellence of our service because he deserves our very best. I'm not going to give God 80% of my energy, 80% of my time, 80% of my devotion. No, I want to give him 100% of my devotion because he's our dear father who is in heaven. And I want to hollow his name. I want him to know that in my heart, I want to sanctify him, meaning declare with words, with my life. That he is hollowed, meaning he is holy. I want to be able to express my love and my devotion for him. That is what Jesus is talking about here in his example of prayer. We want to honor God in everything we do. And again, saying hallowed be your name means much more than not using his name in vain. It means serving him with a pure heart, with the right motivation. According to Malachi 1.6 here, when God says, you're not honoring my name, you are despising my name because you're giving me second best. So what we learn, church, is this. If we really mean when we pray, hallowed be your name, God, it means we're ready to serve him with excellence. And that means sacrifice. It means we're dying to self. It means we're giving him the priority, giving his plan the priority, which we will express that also by saying, your will be done. So we need to guard against substandard devotion to God. And that is expressed in the model prayer here that Jesus gives The second element then is in the example prayer. First is we honor God. The second, according to verse 10, is we desire God. We need to express our desire for God in our, in the way we pray, according to the example prayer that Jesus gives. That's in verse 10. The first sentence of this verse here starts a series of requests that reveal the desire for the rule of God through Christ, the majestic Savior. When he says here in verse 10, your kingdom come. Now, we need to understand that the earthly rule of Christ will happen here one day. And that rule will start at the second coming. It will last for a thousand years. And again, we're going back to the study of the book of Revelation we've done a few months ago. But that rule of Christ here on earth will last for a thousand years, at the end of which Satan will organize a last rebellion. And he'll come out from this imprisonment by the permission of God. And he and his followers will be defeated. Jesus will sentence to the lake of fire every unbeliever who lived up until that day and every demon And each one will receive different degrees of punishment. That's all in the book of Revelation. But after that, his kingdom will continue. Why? Because his kingdom will last forever. 
Now, the prophet Isaiah says this. This is God speaking through the prophet, chapter 9. God says this, There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David or over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Now, the angel who announced to Mary that the Messiah was going to be born confirmed that promise when he says this, and Luke records this for us, Luke 1, verses 32 through 33, he will be great, speaking of Jesus, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So church, the Bible promises the everlasting kingdom of God through Christ reigning physically upon the earth and when we are to pray to God we are to express that desire for his reign to be established for his government to be established and it means we are trusting in his promises we are looking forward to his promises we recognize that here on earth there will be no perfect government even though we love America and this is the best nation in the world to I, I grew up in a third world country I know that we live in a very blessed country however we are looking forward to the government that will have no end when Christ will reign physically upon the earth. And that is the ideal aspiration of our hearts. If you are a member of the kingdom of heaven, you are to express that aspiration in the way you pray to God. Governments have come and gone. Empires have risen and collapsed. Republics have been established and dismantled. Caliphates will rise and fall. And God has allowed kingdoms of sinful men to prosper for a time, but his dominion will last forever. And in his infinite wisdom, God has allowed wicked governments to thrive for a season to accomplish his purposes that we may not know now, but one day he will evict kings and presidents and reign physically from the earth through Christ with his co-regents, you and me, and every member of the community of the redeemed from every generation. So, When we pray, thy kingdom come, or your kingdom come, we are expressing the desire of our hearts for the government of Christ, for the rule of Christ here upon the earth, and we are trusting his promises to do so, because the Bible is abundant about the promises of the second coming of Christ and the rule of Christ upon the earth. But look at the second sentence on that verse, verse 10. It reflects the believer's desire to see God's will fulfilled. And what that means is we are prioritizing God's will when we pray. Now, believers or subjects of the kingdom of heaven, we, as believers, we should never, never elevate our dreams and desires above the divine plan. We should put them in the right priority order like faithful servants whose righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. We are to die to self in order to uphold the divine standard at whatever cost. And that's the point. We are to uphold the divine standard rather than apply our own standard. And Christ talks about this in chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount. He's presenting the divine standard against the human standard, for example, of sanctity, of holiness, of sexual purity, and of resentment and forgiveness. That is his divine standard. When we are to prioritize his will, we are to say, Lord, We want your will fulfilled in our lives, whatever the cost is, because we know he will fulfill his will by establishing his government here. But as far as us, we are to always prioritize his will. We die to self, and we uphold his standard of holiness, his standard of righteousness, which he says here must surpass that of scribes and Pharisees. 
Now, let me give you some examples from the immediate context of the Sermon on the Mount. When he says, for example, we already know that God wills that we not hate our fellow human being. So when we pray, Lord, your will be done, we already know what he wants us to do. We're praying something, but we already have the answer to that prayer. When we say, Lord, what is your will? We know that his will for us is to not lust. And he wants us to love our enemies and to pray for our persecutors and to always seek reconciliation. So when we pray, Lord, your will be done, unless we don't mean it, we already know the answer to that. So our prayers should sound something like this. Father, I don't feel like seeking reconciliation. My flesh craves retaliation. Nevertheless, I want to honor your will clearly revealed in your word. So please equip me to uphold and to live by your standard. And my friend, he will answer that prayer. Why? Because that's his will. He's more interested in that than you are. So when we pray, Lord, your will be done. What we're expressing to God is our desire for God to prioritize his will over our will because he will sustain you. So we talked about the first two elements here in the example of prayer. We are to honor God, we are to desire Him, and finally here in the example of prayer, according to verses 11 through 13, we are to trust God. And that's what Christ is expressing here in the example of prayer. The first sentence of this portion that starts in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread, it recognizes God as the source of life. Subjects of the kingdom of heaven, like you and me, we should express our trust to God in a form of a petition. Now, He is our source of life. Everything we have comes from Him. And before you conclude, no, 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 I work hard for my money. Well, who gives you health to work? Who gives you the energy to work? Who gives you opportunities to work? We are to trust God for our basic needs. That's what Christ is saying here. And we are to reflect that trust in the form of a petition. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, that is not to excuse us from working for our food. Because Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10, if anyone is not willing to work, he is not to eat. So if you won't work, then you won't eat. Because we are to work with our hands. Now, working for sustenance is not a result of sin, in case you were wondering when you read the story of the fall here. God gave Adam and Eve plenty of work to do before they disobeyed God. For example, they were to care for the garden. They were to name the animals. That's a lot of work. They were to multiply the earth. That's work. God gave them a lot of work to do before sin entered the human experience. Now, when sin entered the human experience, suffering became part of the equation. So we are to continue to work, but we are to trust God to provide our basic needs. So Christ is expressing here in the example prayer for us, give us today our daily bread, meaning we are to trust God for our basic needs. We don't trust the government primarily for our basic needs. We trust God. Now, he may use other people to provide our basic needs. He may use from time to time the government to provide our basic needs, but we are trusting in God, not in the government, not in anybody else, but God will provide for our needs. But look at the second sentence in this passage here. Give us our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, Jesus is talking a lot about forgiveness here, if you haven't noticed, in the Sermon on the Mount. And this church is the very reason why we can't call this the Lord's Prayer because Jesus does not need forgiveness. See, he is sinless. So he doesn't need forgiveness from the Father. He doesn't need forgiveness from anybody. So this is for us. This is the disciples' prayer. And it reveals the desire for uninterrupted fellowship with the Father through forgiveness of sins. 
We sin repeatedly, even after we became a Christian. Anybody here believe you stopped sinning after you became a believer? Please don't raise your hand because your spouse will confirm what the Bible says. You sin, I sin. And when we sin, we owe a debt to God because we have offended His holiness. Even when we sin against other people, primarily we're offending God. We will not be sinless until our glorification, until we get to heaven. But we can sin and should sin less. We can sin less and should sin less between now and then. We know this process as progressive sanctification, which means he began a good work in us and we will mature evermore every time we ask God to forgive us of our sins and ask him to cleanse our hearts from impurity. And we need to be doing this on a daily basis because we're not as vigilant as we should be. Now, I want you to look at the third sentence in verse 13. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This sentence here from the mouth of Christ does not suggest that God leads people into temptation. James says in James 1 verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So what Christ is saying here in this model prayer is that this request represents a heart who desires holiness so much it doesn't even want to risk breaking that fellowship with God. It doesn't want to risk being in a position of potentially breaking that fellowship with God temporarily by sin. That's what he's saying. It says, deliver us from temptation, victory over temptation. Give us, we're trusting God not only for our basic needs, but also for victory over temptation because we are constantly tempted. And again, the Bible is clear that we are tempted by the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh. Now, and Satan is an ally with our flesh when we tempt and the kingdom of darkness. By the way, Satan is not the one doing all the temptation. He has a whole army to do that. They pair up with our flesh and then sin is consummated. And then that's why we need to ask forgiveness to God based on the merit of Jesus Christ. We, we ask forgiveness based on the fact that Christ already paid for our sins. We must, therefore, recognize God's ability in contrast with our own to overcome temptation and to avoid the evil of sinning against our dear Father who is in heaven, who sees everything that's done in secret and who will reward us and whose kingdom we long to see on earth and who provides for us our daily bread and forgives us our transgressions on the merit of His Son, Jesus Christ. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. We're always looking for people just like you to join us in spreading the gospel around the world. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth with Grace.